So welcome to the GUT Podcast. I'm Mary McLean, Senior Lecturer and Consultant in Gastroenterology at the University of Aberdeen, Scotland, UK. And in my capacity as Education Editor, I'm hosting this podcast today. This month I'm discussing the Editor's Choice Manuscript from the June 2015 issue entitled Development of an Enhanced Human Gastrointestinal Epithelial Culture System to Facilitate Patient-Based Assays. I'm delighted to welcome the senior author of the manuscript here today, Dr. Thaddeus Stappenbeck, and he's from the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Missouri in the USA. So welcome to the podcast. So your paper focuses on a novel experimental technique to study gastrointestinal epithelial cell function. As an introduction, remind us of the functions of these cells and why it's important to explore their phenotype further in both health and disease. Yeah, so the uh, so the intestinal epithelial barrier uh, is a is a single cell that basically lines the entire uh, entire intestine, and it's the 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 challenge there is that this this has to have two different functions. It has to act uh, it has to allow the uh, absorption of nutrients, um, and at the same time act as a barrier to contents within the lumen of the gut. So that's that that's I think the the the, the real the, the really interesting thing about the intestine uh, and the intestinal epithelium. Because of because of this uh, this this barrier uh, because of these two dual functions, the interesting um, kind of piece to this is is that there's a very uh, kind of constant and rapid turnover of this intestinal uh, epithelial lining uh, on the order of a few days in mice and on the order of a few weeks uh, in humans, and the engine for this renewal are, are crypts of Lieberkuhn that contain uh, stem cells, and these are are uh, very frequent invaginations within uh, the wall of the gut. Uh, that, that punctuate the epithelium. This is a very dynamic system, and it's very important for the system to function properly uh, to maintain uh, health. Uh, and if if it doesn't function properly, if the, the barrier is leaky, or the barrier is, is non-functional, or the barrier is destroyed by pathogens, uh, then then there are, of course are, are problems. That's really the, the the level is that why people want to study this particular <clears throat> this particular system is. That the epithelium is really at an interface um, and uh, between microbes and the lumen of the gut. So studying post-microbial interactions, it's a really great system to study that. And also thinking about the uh, traditional immune cells that are that lie below uh, the intestinal epithelium along the basolateral surface that are present within the, the intestine and studying those particular interactions. So in our understanding this three-way uh, communication, the epithelium is kind of at the center of this. And I think that this is what this is what has fascinated people for decades. So let's consider why novel experimental techniques are required in this circumstance. So what options have traditionally been available to study the function of these cells? Right. So so before um, 2008, the the only uh, the best options were essentially tumor lines that had been developed um, over over several decades. Uh, and, so, and, and a few of these had become uh, quite frequently frequently used in, in the field. Uh, Keiko cells are probably one of the best examples of this. There have literally been tens of thousands of papers using these um, <clears throat> these tumor lines to try and study some of these questions. There, there have been many interesting things that have been learned using these cells, but the problem is the, the problem is it's been very difficult to study uh, differentiation. Uh, many of these cell types don't differentiate very well. 
that don't mimic really what we see uh, in vivo. Uh, there's, a, there's a line of Keiko cells called Keiko BBs uh, that, that can differentiate, uh, but it's a very slow process. It takes basically three weeks of culture to get this to, to actually happen. So th these systems really aren't very robust for studying differentiation, and it's actually very difficult to manipulate them genetically because they're, they're aneuploid. So there's there's been a there's been a huge interest in in, in being able to use uh, primary cells uh, from mouse, from mouse models as well as from from human uh, patients, and uh, the, the the key finding in 2008 was the the recognition and so people have been trying to grow primary cells for decades with with real, very little success, and Hans Cleavers made a really uh, I think uh, seminal observation in 2008 that the factor that was missing. Uh, was this uh, this cofactor for canonical wind signaling R-spondent, and the recognition that that this factor uh, is is required to grow uh, epithelial cells and culture has really I think uh, uh, really expanded the field massively. And there's been now uh, numerous groups that have come in with with various ways to to try and uh, take the system and grow uh, epithelial cells, both from from uh, from model systems and from uh, from humans. So what challenges are faced in developing a human culture system of this nature? So if you're in a basic science lab and you are interested in getting human uh, lines for experiments, the, the biggest challenge actually is, is actually having a, the, the right type of partner on, on these experiments. You really need, um, you really need a, a, a gastroenterologist, practicing gastroenterologist who's active in the clinic, seeing, uh, seeing interesting patients, and can can actually get the the consenting done to actually collect the tissue, and 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 even beyond that, you need that that clinician really to have a, a really fundamental understanding of basic science, uh, how to set up experiments and experimental design. And I, and I think when you have that type of a, that type of an interaction, that then you'll be you'll be actually collecting tissue with a purpose. Uh, you can interrogate hypothesis-driven questions and, and really go after uh, uh, very, uh, very interesting things. So my, uh, the, the person who was really critical in our study uh, was Matt Chorba, who's a, a, a physician scientist in the Division of Gastroenterology here at Washington University. And that, that type of interaction um, has been uh, really, uh, it was really important to basically get this project started and to keep it uh, uh, moving along as well as it has. So how did you overcome the technical issues to successfully establish a human epithelial spheroid culture? So how this began is my lab for a number of years had, had uh, been interested in uh, wound repair. And we were very interested in trying to model the expanded stem cells that we saw that, that occur during uh, the repair of wounds. So what happens when crypts, crypts are focally removed? They're replaced by an expansion of stem cells uh, that, that form these, these channel-like structures that get that, that get subdivided into new cribs. We, we were we were interested in, in the mechanisms of these channel formation and and how these were actually subdivided into new cribs. So we needed to actually uh, adopt um, Hans's organoid system, um, which is mostly differentiated cells and, and a few stem cells within the culture, and, and, and adopt this where we could actually grow. Uh, cells that, that were enriched for uh, stem cells. We wanted to mimic wound channels. Um, so uh, a really talented postdoc in my lab, Hiroyuki Miyoshi, uh, came up with a, with an idea to make a condition media system. So he um, took an L-cell line and expressed all of the, the critical factors, uh, canonical wind factor and R-spondin uh, and uh, noggin, and then expressed these all in the same L-cell 
and then we found the conditioned media from uh, from these uh, from these L cells basically allowed us to expand uh, epithelial stem cells dramatically. So instead of um, instead of growing cells as organoids, um, which are mostly differentiated cells, these grew as spheroids, uh, which were nearly all uh, LGR5 positive stem cells. And then the, so the ability to do that allowed us to study questions around uh, around wound uh, channel um, development in vitro, but it also uh, had the the added benefit where we could massively and very quickly expand cells cells in, in vitro. Uh, and then the trick was then is if we could actually um, differentiate them again in culture. And uh, we had found over over multiple publications uh, in the past in our mouse system uh, that we're actually able to do that. Uh, so Clara Moon had a really nice paper in coastal immunology showing showing that we could we could differentiate these cells on on transwells uh, quite quite nicely. So then the key uh, then to move into the human system was to basically adapt the, adapt this L cell media that we had used uh, to to expand uh, mouse stem cells to try that and see if that would actually work on human cells. So Kelly Van Dussen, who's a postdoc in my lab, wanted to take this this project on, and, and we collaborated with uh, with Matt Chorba. Uh, and and basically um, that's that basically set us up to to actually try this. So the key to actually getting successful uh, human epithelial culture. Um, so uh, the, the the key was that we that we tried it. But then beyond that, uh, what Kelly did is she she really took a systematic approach to optimize uh, uh, to optimize it. I, I think the the, the key in, in in our hands why this work has worked so well is that. Uh, that she has really uh, excellent technical uh, tissue culture skills. I think this really requires A plus uh, uh, tissue culture skills, uh, which which she has. You have to be able to look uh, at cells under a microscope and interpret the images you see. I think when when I talk to people who are struggling with this uh, technique, I think the the biggest problem they have is 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 trying to understand to be able to look at cells under a microscope and in spheroids form and know if they're healthy or if they're um, sick or if they're not doing well. And I think that that's really probably the most, uh, one of the most important things uh, in getting the system going is actually to have somebody who can actually, who's actually really skilled at, at, uh, at tissue culture and basically is essentially a cell doctor uh, and can tell if cells are sick or not. So what are the potential future applications of this novel culture system to both research and clinical practice? So, um, so I think I think that uh, there uh, the ability to expand stem cells and then differentiate the cells in, in a variety of ways um, is is really going to uh, allow now for um, for high to look at high throughput interactions, essentially industrialize how we think about um, a mechanism within this space. And I think that that's what's really exciting. I think it's going to it's going to allow for the development of new drugs that are that are centered around. Uh, functions within epithelial cells, which I, I, I think is really exciting, uh, but it's also going to allow to look uh, at basic mechanisms of of how microbes interact with the epithelium, uh, particularly particularly uh, pathogens and and even commensal interactions. Uh, my lab has has started uh, this and has published a, a paper recently looking at um, at commensal microbes that degrade IgA, and we developed an, a nice uh, in vitro system using this this culture method in mouse to actually. Actually, test this. Um, we in, in this particular paper, we had studied uh, uh, catching and facing uh, uh, E. coli strains uh, and how they could interact with these epithelial cells. But there are additional pathogens uh, that we've begun to actually test within the system. So I think this is going to be a really uh, wonderful system for that. 
On the host side, I think it's 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 going to be really uh, uh, great because I think we'll be able to really look at the at the impact of human genetics on uh, function of cells in vitro. So to look at, at different lines from different patients uh, will be and how they function in different assays will be I think quite interesting. Um, it will also be interesting to look at uh, at the origin of of the cells that are used to make the line, whether they come from areas of disease versus no disease. And is there is there retention of of uh, the of knowing that 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 those that those stem cells were actually in a, in an area of disease? So are there epigenetic changes within those stem cells that occur with disease? And I think this will be a great system to to actually work this out. And lastly, that this is a great system I think to develop reporters in. Uh, and I think that that, that, uh, that my lab and other labs have have. Have, have really begun to to uh, work in this particular space. Um, we had a paper uh, uh, by Lu, who's the first author is Lulu Sun from my lab in cell host and microbe, where we we showed the use of reporter systems uh, in epithelial stem cells and and how that can be used to screen for novel molecules. Uh, and and I think again, I think this is this is something that's going to be uh, a, a very big area uh, in invasive science. So you assess the methodology using endoscopically retrieved biopsies from different sites of the gastrointestinal tract. So tell us more about this. Yeah, so I think this is so this is something uh, that that um, that uh, Matt uh, Chorba did a, a really wonderful job with. Is he he he, um, he basically was able to obtain tissue from uh, either by upper endoscopy or lower endoscopy from a variety of of sites in the entire GI tract. Uh, and then we could basically uh, map this and, and map the, um, the the effects on on uh, stem cell function and differentiation from cells from these different sites. Um, what was really exciting is that the that the condition media system that we have basically um, works uh, effectively from cells um, from cells isolated from the stomach, uh, anywhere in the small intestine and colon, and from areas of disease and no disease. So there was no modifications of the technique. Um, that act, that had to be uh, used, uh, and the other interesting thing is that when we uh, would differentiate cells in vitro uh, from these different sites, the, there was retention of of uh, essentially that the stem cells remembered where they were and would differentiate along the lines of where they were taken from. So if stem cells were <clears throat> were taken from uh, the, the distal small intestine, they would differentiate along the lines of distal small intestine. So how did you ensure that these human spheroids did retain the appropriate differentiation to reflect the true biology of the tissue source? Yeah. So the, so um, so what we what we did is is we we used a system a transvolve system to um, to try and polarize the cells and, and found that the that um, that the cells actually uh, would polarize very well. Also, I forgot to say what we what we do is we take away uh, the 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 high level of canonical went. Uh, and our spawn and signaling. So we reduced the level um, uh, of the condition media in our system from 50% to 5% or less. Uh, and then this, this will take the cells out of cell cycle and then they'll differentiate spontaneously. Uh, and when we put these cells on, uh, uh, on a transwell, we can, we can basically get them uh, to, uh, to polarize quite well, um, regardless of where they're taken from in, in the GI tract. And then we can look at specific markers and then uh, test for the ability of these cells um, to to differentiate. So we think this is um, going forward. We think this is going to be a great system to under, undercover mechanisms of differentiation, uh, both in homeostasis uh, and repair, 
uh, and there's still ongoing work, I think, in this area to, to basically uh, to basically try and understand these mechanisms. So as you mentioned, you successfully developed a transwell system for culture of these primary intestinal epithelial cells. So can you give us a brief outline of the system and the importance of achieving this goal? Yeah, so I think this is actually one of the one of the uh, the nicer uh, aspects of this paper, and one of the more valuable aspects I think to other people in the field. And the way this um, the, the the key to this to actually getting successful transwells is to start with a, a very large number of stem cells, uh, up to half a million cells per. Uh, if you're going to use a 24 well plate, uh, half a million cells per well. So you need to start with a with a lot of stem cells. So our system, where we can expand and uh, spheroids that are enriched in stem cells, is really vital to actually get this to work. Um, so when you can start with a large number of cells, you can basically get them to to feed at very high density on the transwell, uh, and then removal of the of the of the 50% condition medium then will cause them to spontaneously differentiate. So this is, I think, really, uh, really the key, and the key is having having a lot of stem cells to start. So earlier you described a variety of potential research and clinical applications of this culture system, and to illustrate the feasibility of using this culture in patient-based assays, you assessed E. coli adherence to your cell culture versus a standard traditional in vitro cell line. So tell us more about this and the conclusions you reached. Yeah, so for this uh, for these studies, we uh, collaborated with Phil Tarr, uh, who, who's a, a pediatric gastroenterologist here at Washington University, and who has spent his whole career really studying uh, these these adherent uh, E. coli strains. And he had uh, had a number of strains uh, that had been uh, that had been isolated from uh, from, from, uh, from patients. Um, and so he's so he was a, a great resource here, and he he really understood I think a lot of the the frustration in this system with uh, particularly with, with with critical lines like uh, like OH157 um, that doesn't really bind very well to uh, to indicator lines. So so the the, the the cell line that most people use in, in the the E. coli adherence field is HeLa cells, um, and many strains will actually bind to, uh, to to HeLa cells, but some strains actually barely bind to these cells or don't don't really bind at all. And OH157 is one of those uh, one of those particular strains. So what was really gratifying um, is that the, the primary lines that we used or that we developed, uh, we would see uh, we would we saw readily readily saw uh, robust binding of this microbe to these to these epithelial cells. So I think this is this is going to be really important. I think to be able to develop uh, to understand the mechanism of how these bacteria interact with the epithelial cells, and also to develop new drugs to prevent uh, uh, these types of uh, these types of interactions. And so, um, so we're actually um, uh, quite uh, excited about this, and we think that there's the opportunity here to uh, to expand uh, this beyond uh, adherent uh, E. coli um, and look at other uh, pathogens uh, that is particularly pathogens um, such as Cryptosporidium that have been really resistant to uh, to basically studying in culture systems. And we think that this, this that these primary cell lines are going to be really critical. To, uh, to develop systems to study pathogen uh, epithelial interaction. So just to summarize, what are the main advantages of your novel human GI epithelial cell culture? Right, so the, the simple, the, and the short form on this is basically this particular system using uh, our, our LWR condition media is that we can produce a lot of stem cells um, very 
quickly. And that's, I think, really, really the key. Uh, it, it's really easy, it's relatively easy to make and expand uh, lines. Um, and because of this, and you, you, you can, if you're in the, the right setting where you can get clinical material, you can, you can create a large number of lines. And this will allow you to, to then um, set up your assays for, for a variety of patients, uh, uh, patient specimens. So in my lab, we already have over 300, um, 300 epithelial lines uh, that have been developed. Uh, I think it's, it's really the ease at which we can do this. Uh, all it takes is a single uh, biopsy. Uh, to actually get these lines actually started, and then to do functional studies, uh, screening studies, um, we can we can basically make a lot of stem cells very quickly. So finally, how do you think the system can contribute to the increasing emphasis of personalized medicine and direct future clinical management in patients with GI disease? Right. So I think this is this is so this is this is really speculative, um, but I think it's something. Um, as, as we, you know, think uh, uh, out in the future, how this how this could actually uh, actually work, as, as what we would envision is is we would actually envision if, envision if a patient is diagnosed with a particular disease like an inflammatory bowel disease, that you would want to take uh, take a biopsy of the intestine, grow out uh, a, a cell line from that patient in, in a few weeks, and, and then use these cells to actually then uh, to actually hopefully direct therapy uh, in these patients. Um, we think that, that having a cell line is something that can, that can synthesize complex genetics and even potentially complex um, uh, environmental influences that have occurred within a, within a patient. And a, a lot of this could be really critical then for actually trying to understand the, uh, if a certain drug will, will work in a patient uh, or not. So that's again very uh, speculative, but but something that that I think I would uh, I would love to see happen down the road. Well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I'd like to thank Dr. Sadia Stappenbeck for joining me today. Thank you very much. Well, thank thank you so much for uh, the opportunity. Thank you.